This is episode number 216 of the Rising Man podcast with Jack Star Rubin. There is a sweet spot between the whip and the roses. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me here today. This is Jetty Azuma again here behind the mic for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Now listen up, guys. If you haven't heard by now, we just upgraded and relaunched our online membership space. We're calling it the Rising Man Brotherhood, and we've got multiple tiers of participation now. Whether you want to join our free Telegram space and start jamming with the men that are part of our community worldwide, or you want to step into the bonfire or the fire circle spaces where we have more exclusive opportunities and members access only events and calls and trainings, etc. So much popping off over there. We got our official kickoff call happening on July 12th. So register now, get yourself locked and loaded and start jamming with the community. All right. My guest for today is a returning guest, good friend of mine from way back in our Ithaca College days, Jack Star Rubin. Jack is a therapist and coach who specializes in helping people heal from trauma, chronic pain, and other psychosomatic challenges. He's completed trainings in internal family systems therapy, somatic experiencing trauma work, mindful self-compassion, and the Alexander Technique. He's passionate about helping people heal from past wounds in order to live the life they they feel called into. In this episode, Jack and I discussed the old NYC days. Jack and I shared some stories about growing into adults in the Big Apple and some experiences that I've never shared before on this podcast. We talked about how Jack helped me through the past four months of my life, navigating hardship, anxiety, and overwhelm. Jack introduced internal family systems and the different personalities we create during traumatic moments in our lives. Next, we discussed settling back into the self-leader and captain of your ship, how none of our parts actually want to interfere with our primary mission, and what those parts need in order to participate in the greater team of the self. What is mindful self-compassion? and understanding the green, yellow, red light system. Lastly, Jack gave his insights on how you can learn to be kinder to yourself without getting soft and finding the sweet spot between the whip and the roses. Without further ado, Jack Star Rubin. Here we go, Rising Man family. I have one of my most beloved brothers and friends in the world, and I genuinely mean that when I say it, Mr. Jack Star Rubin, coming in all the way from Asheville, North Carolina, my bro. Honored to have you on here for a repeat performance, man. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you so much, Jetty. Uh, I'm doing really well. This is exciting and just fun. Every time I see your face, a, a smile comes uh, comes to my face. So it's uh, an honor and a uh, privilege and exciting and fun to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Well, it's very mutual. And we decided that it would be a great opportunity since, number one, you've been on the show before. And number two, we've known each other since college, going back to, I don't know, maybe I was 20 years old when I met you. And I'm going to be 35 this year. So 15 years of relationship. That's that's a lot of years, man. That's a long time. Yes, it is. It's, it's kind of crazy to think about, but yeah. come a long way. And here we are now. I've got two kids. You've got a kid, both married, businesses, all the the whole nine yards. So why don't we start off with a walk down memory lane? I figured it'd be a good opportunity for us to go back to what life used to look like back in our old stomping grounds of NYC. <laughs> this is this is only only 10 years ago, man. I've been in California for 10 years now, a little under 10 years. And uh, what, what, let's start with this question. What was I like 10 years ago for those people who didn't know me back then? Wow. Be ruthless. <laughs> um, I just loved you so much, man. It just was, uh, you were one of the most fun, 
exciting people to hang out with. It was just, uh, I just remember just smiling all the time when I was around you and, uh, just feeling like we would have some just conversations that made me feel really alive and really excited and passionate about life and, uh, opening my eyes to like what life potentially could become and what could be and like what we could do in our lives. So, you know, no idea that it would turn into this, but I remember sitting on a curb with you, uh, one time just talking about what about this and we could do this and this could happen. And what about that? And we could help people in this way and this, and just, it was so fun spitballing it back and forth. It just was really inspiring and enlivening for me. So that, I, first of all, thank you for saying that. And what, what were we talking about at that time when we, what were, we wanted to help people, but what was our vision of helping people at that time on that curb? Yeah, I don't remember it super well, but I think, you know, realizing that human beings struggle in a lot of different ways and maybe we could help, you know, maybe we could help humanity, help the world, help our planet and just kind of brainstorming different ways that maybe we could be of service to make this world a more beautiful and better and less painful existence. Yeah, man, that, that definitely sounds familiar to me. Uh, going back to when we first met, so many of our initial conversations were about how can we make this world a better place? How can we help people? How can we help others? How can we help our community? I think what we were missing at that time, at least what I was missing at that time, is the realization that I needed to help myself first. Mm. <laughs> I didn't. There was a lot that, there, all the ambition and the heartfelt intentions of helping people and helping the world was there. But there was a lot of work I needed to do on myself. And at 23 years old, romping around the city with all of these ambitious ideas, there was so much I needed to do on myself. And I think the same was true for a lot of our friends in that community. We wanted to make a difference, but we we skipped a step. It was like we, we forgot to take care of steps one through four before we jump into step five. Absolutely. And I, you know, another amazing thing I remember about you at that time anyway, is that I came into, I got like that, what you just said, like thrust in my face pretty intensely. I was pretty passionate about music and being a musician, uh, at that time. And I ended up slamming into this chronic wrist injury, which, you know, well, and I, it was just like, stopped me in my tracks. And I was just angry and frustrated and scared and didn't know what to do. And, um, it just really forced me to be like, all right, I'm going to have to like, look at this and try to figure out what's going on here. And, you know, just forever grateful to you because you were somebody who was just so there for me. I had the story of like, Oh God, now that I can't play music, like, what am I? I'm nothing. Who could love me? You know, what are my, my friends aren't going to like hanging out with me anymore. Cause like this thing that is me is taken away from me. And you were just super loving and supportive and helpful and kind and compassionate. And it was it really was a huge part of my healing journey. So forever grateful for that. Well, I think it's such a it's such a great dynamic because I, I think we in some regards we both feel like we got the better end of the deal. There's so many moments I could think about my my musicianship. A lot of people don't know this about me, but we recorded an album together went ten years ago and released it. I, in fact, I should probably put it out there again for the Rising Man community. I haven't posted about that in a while, but you helped bring the artist out of me with the way that you were with music and watching you and our other friends in New York at the time being a part of a band with you and just having fun. In New York, I have some some great memories of performing up in Harlem together at, at some random bars and watching you guys perform on different stages and being a part of a big part of that journey. But 
some of my most fond memories of you were just how simple you were able to make your life back then. You were just about your practices, taking care of, you know, eventually it became about taking care of your wrist, but you were so dedicated and devoted to your meditative practice, your spiritual and personal exploration, your musicianship and becoming a, a wild guitarist, man, just so passionate in the way you did that. And, and even beyond that, just the exploration of the human being within yourself and within others. That's, that's how I remember you even going all the way back to those times when, let's see, if I was 23, that would make you 21 right? Living in New York City. Um, one of my favorite memories, this is this goes way back in the archives, but uh, just when we used to get high and we used to make music together and go on some really beautiful journeys in that capacity. Um, and you inviting me to just let music pour out of me, one of the most first, one of the first most uncomfortable memories I have of, because then my own story of perfectionism and how can I put something together that people are going to like and that I'm going to like, that's going to sound really groovy. And, uh, I, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to you, man, for awakening the music, the music in me. And mm. so that's one of my favorite memories, man, going all the way back to Windseeker, the first song that we recorded together back then it was a really special moment for me. Yeah. Wow. Uh, those are some of the most beautiful memories for me also. And, uh, you know, you mentioned about like these conversations we got into of like helping the world and this and that. I remember, um, I remember thinking about you when we were playing music together and your voice started to come out more and more and more. I was like, oh, this guy, this guy's my ticket to the top right here. <laughs> just play guitar for him and everything. It's an easy street to stardom and all of that stuff. But the, which was really what I wanted for a long time. I, you know, being a you know, famous musician was very, I was very passionate about and, you know, getting hurt helped me start to realize that there was a lot more to existence and and suffering was like actually a really big deal. Like, um, that I hadn't really come across in my life, you know, very fortunate in my early years, but I hadn't really come across deep suffering of like losing something that you're so passionate about and started to come in face to face with like feeling not lovable and shame and pain and fear and anxiety and stress, uh, for the first times in my life and starting to realize, Oh, wow, there's like something to be addressed here in humanity. And maybe actually, looking at this both for, for myself first, um, and then starting to realize that actually, maybe if I actually start to like put my energies towards helping people with this, that's, that's going to be a lot deeper and, and more important than just another, you know, famous musician. And I love, I love musicians and I, I still love musician kind of thing, but I just realized there was something greater that, you know, was being called of me and asked of me kind of thing. And, uh, grateful to have followed that. And I've really seen that in you also, um, in your journey. Well, it's the thing that they say, you know, the, the source of your pain becomes the source of your medicine that you have to give. And I think that you, your story in a really beautiful and even poetic way captures that just watching the way that you translated your great adversity with your wrist pain and turned it into a, a big, chunk of the way that you give back to people now. So we covered a lot of that in our first interview. So for people who sure. have never, maybe these are guys tuning into the podcast who haven't been around for a while, you should definitely go back and check out the first interview I had with Jack, probably almost two years ago now, where we really articulated your journey through chronic pain in your wrist, discovering Alexander technique and these other principles of releasing tension in the body that became such a cornerstone for your work. But I want to build from there since we've already had a conversation about that. And the theme that I'm hearing just in our, our little walk down memory lane here is identifying adversity and challenge 
in, at any stage of life and having the awareness to see it as an opportunity. And this for me has become such an important mm. mantra. I think it's one of the core pieces that I bring into my coaching and my work with people is, yeah, you're in it right now, but if you can bring enough attention and intention to it, this can be the first paragraph in the greatest comeback story ever. Right. It's so much of our ability to heal and overcome adversity is the story and the narrative that we put together from the circumstances in front of us. And so I've seen you do that a number of times in the past 15 years of relationship before we even knew what we were doing. <laughs> and I know you've witnessed me go through those myself. And very recently, you helped me through one of the most challenging periods in my entire adult life, talking about mm -hmm. the winter of 2021 is how I'll, I'll always remember it these past four months. And so I just want to drop into that for a little bit and, and really talk about how you supported me. Um, let's start. Let's start with your perspective on things. When I when I hit you up, I remember exactly where I was outside the coffee shop, probably like three four months ago, and I told you that I was in bad shape. What was your What was your impression and experience of me from the outside looking in? Uh, my main impression was just uh, well, two two main things. Anyway, I laughed because I I. My, one of my impressions was like, oh my gosh, I I have felt very similar to this in my own experience not too long ago kind of thing. So I felt just a lot of resonance and tremendous, like my heart going out to you, you know, an outpouring of just like, oh man, like I have felt similar things to what Jenny's sharing with me and uh, know what that is like and feeling my heart really going out to you. And yeah, just a feeling of feeling very touched, you know, that you, that you did reach out to me, you know, to, to share that, that with me. And it felt like, uh, you were, you know, you were so helpful to me when I was really struggling at, at several periods of my life kind of thing. So I just felt really honored and touched to, you know, that you were reaching out to me for help that I could, you know, be there for you in that way. Let's spotlight that for a second. That's so good for me to hear again. And for men to hear out there, it was an honor for you to have me reach out to you for help. I feel very honored. One of the first voices that we get in our heads is, oh, I don't want to be a burden. Oh, I don't want to hoist my problems onto somebody else. He's doing so good right now. I don't want to bring him down. Those voices of the ego that talk us out of facing off with our challenges and exposing ourselves to someone else, even somebody that I love and trust so much. Right? I, I definitely had that resistance. I'm like, oh, should I really reach out to Jack right now? You know, He's got a lot going on. He's got a little, little kid. He's building his business. Right? And so I just want to spotlight that because that's one of the key things is if the, if the shoes were, if you were wearing the other person's shoes and, and you received a call from somebody, Hey, I need help. And I think you're the person who could really help me out. How easy is it for us to show up for somebody else? Right? It's like you said, an honor, it's an honor. But when we're in, when I'm in, in that position of pain and discomfort, it's not easy to, it's always easy to see it that way. Definitely. It definitely can take a lot of courage. And for you, what is like the, why do you, what do you think is the root of, I better not reach out to this person or like, what do you think is going on there? The, the trepidation. Well, truthfully, I can, I can honestly and confidently say that I've exercised this muscle so much that that story doesn't have as strong of a grip on me. Actually, this, this time around, even though it was a really, really challenging time for me, I knew I needed to reach out. And you yeah. were one of about 40 people. I, I, I like went ham with, with how I reached out for help because I was in a bad spot. Um, so honestly, it wasn't as difficult as it has been in the past, but formerly, historically, for me, it's 
if at the root of it, it's what is somebody going to, what is this person going to think about me when I tell them how I've quote unquote fucked up? Mm-hmm. What are they going to think about me when I reveal how irresponsible my decision-making has been or how negligent I've been of myself, of my family, whatever the circumstances are. Mostly sure. it's what is the other person going to think about me? And then it's also, what am I going to think about me when I say these things out loud? Because right now it's all just a problem living in my head. That's that's usually what comes up for me first. Is it similar for you when you have that same obstacle? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's definitely, as you said, that's what's going on in the head. I noticed kind of before, a lot of times I don't even have the awareness of what's going on in my head. And I just feel this kind of shut down quality, like go into the the turtle shell, which sometimes can be really valuable for me to take some time to go into my turtle shell. I'm more of an introverted person, but I do think that I have a tendency to err on the side of that, or maybe not err on the side of it, but it's just, that's the easy one for me. And that a lot of times opening up there, as you said, there's, there's a shame component. I I kind of think, you know, it's like, I shouldn't be feeling this way is a big one that comes up. And so if I share about it, then I have to let people know that I'm doing this thing that I shouldn't be doing or experiencing or struggling with. Um, so yeah, it does take a lot of courage. Yeah, agreed, man. It's, it is so much of a somatic experience in the body, right? It's that discomfort. I can think of the, the tightness, the tensing, the clenching, the contraction of my body, elevated heart rate, a lot of the physiological effects that I can often feel when it's, it's like when you're building up the courage, uh, completely unrelated, but when you're going to go and approach somebody and ask them out telling them that, Hey, I'm attracted to you. I'd love to spend time that that feeling in the body is very similar to the same feeling I have when I'm getting ready to tell somebody something really vulnerable. Yeah. And I imagine it's a fear of rejection piece, you know, because there is the rejection. If I share this vulnerable thing with these people about how I'm not perfect, am I going to be rejected? That's the other thing. Exactly. Right. Like how am I, I should know better. And also I'm unique. I must be the only person who's ever gone through this before <laughs> and convincing my, that's another way that my ego will convince me to not share it with that person. Right. Well, they've clearly aren't going through this and wouldn't understand. And they mm. probably would look at me funny thinking, Hey, you can't, you can't figure out your finances. Like what's wrong mm. with you. Right. And I've never had anybody actually say that to me. So it's interesting how we contrive these stories in our heads. Absolutely. And more and more, what I've found is actually that's, you know, by actually making ourselves vulnerable, that's like the best. Some, I mean, there's certain things you can kind of work through on your own. Sometimes maybe that are easier to work through on your own. But for me, there's been many, many things in my life that it was absolutely imperative that I talk to somebody about it or, or didn't hide it or shared it with someone. And, and only I, I would like spin my tires in a very aggressive, frustrated, you know, uh, disillusioned kind of manner, trying to solve it on my own. Cause I was afraid of telling anybody about X, Y, or Z. But when I was able to actually open up about it and share with someone, then all of a sudden things started moving pretty quickly. Well, that, and that's the ironic part, right? As soon as we start talking about it, that monster in my head just shrinks down to a little puppy. <laughs> it's like not scary at all anymore. At least it, it tends to diminish a lot of the fear factor. So Let's go in a little bit deeper. Um, speaking specifically, and I've mentioned this on other podcast episodes recently, a huge source of the challenges that I was going through this winter was truly a rite of passage. I was truly facing off with just about every layer of my life, my personal health, my spiritual life, my work and my career moving forward, my relationship with Carrie, my financial situation currently and moving into the future, the way I'm showing up as a father. Every domain of my life was 
presenting itself to me at this time, which is why I think it felt so overwhelming. If it was any one of those things at one time, not such a big deal, but it was all kind of mounting on me. And one of the first things that you really helped me to uncover was what are the voices in my head actually saying from a a really beautiful and non-confrontational place of curiosity, just guiding me through Whoa, that's interesting. What does that voice have to say? What if that voice were to speak? What would it say? And I, I don't know what terminology you, you use, but just bio locating, like kind of like bio geo, geo, geography in my body. Where is that voice coming from? And what does it want to say? Was a really helpful tool. And obviously, just quick disclaimer you are a certified therapist. You do work on these strategies with people that you work with one-on-one. It's not something that we would recommend anybody to do independently or on their own, right? Better under the guise of a professional. Let's just say that. But what, what, can you say a little bit more about those techniques and strategies and on a simple, for anybody who has not experienced that, what that's actually doing for us? Yeah. Um, so just to kind of give a overall sense of things, um, I learned about this. I learned about it from several different things, but I got into like trauma resolution trainings, whatnot. And um, I originally got into somatic experiencing, which was really, really helpful. And, but then I got into this thing called internal family systems comes from the parts psychology idea that we're actually made up. Each individual person is made up of, of like sub personalities or parts as they call it, that we have kind of like different people live in inside of us. It's a very, it seems bizarre. It seems strange, but that we all kind of have multiple personalities. And a lot of times these different parts of us are created from wounding experiences that we had when we were really young. We, it, we like, they fracture off from the, the whole of ourselves when they're going through a really hard thing. And then they're at work and they're actually these like frightened, wounded, burdened, sometimes traumatized parts of us are still with us. So there could be like a a hard thing we went through when we were like eight years old or 10 years old or 15 years old. And then that part will just like take the front front and center experience of our life and take over everything. And we'll be kind of acting from that place, or at least we'll be hearing that voice really loud in our heads. And if you can actually go in there and ask what's going on, you know, as if it was a person, Hey, I see that you're really concerned about something or you're frightened about something. Do you want to tell us what's going on for you. A lot of times those parts will tell you exactly what's going on for them, what they're really stressed out about and why they're so stressed out about it and what might've happened at an early age that, you know, spooked it so much. And if you just hear from them, a lot of times the, the wind in their sails settles down because they've, they've got a chance to be heard. They're just like people. So they're like, Oh, you listen to me. Like, great. Now I feel a lot better. And a lot of times that energy subsides a lot. And then it's a lot easier to come back into what they call in that modality, the self-leader, the self-leader that's able to be like, okay, now I can see clearly again, what was going to be best for me and the whole of who I am. And so, um, a lot of times people spend a lot of energy trying to get rid of fear. You know, I got to just like, not think about that, you know, just shut up and like, I got to power through and experience this. And what tends to happen to those parts is they just get louder and louder and louder because nobody likes to get, you know, be swept aside, particularly when they're really frightened. They'll just be like, okay, you're not listening to me when I talk at this volume, then I'm going to start talking to you at a really, really loud volume because you're not paying any attention to me. But when you turn and face them and start to listen to them, they're like, thank you. This is what I've needed. I've needed someone to be there for me and listen to me. So we actually learn how we can really take care of ourselves and be there for ourselves and heal ourselves and heal our own wounds. 
and for you and I and those of us who are listening who are parents, that this is not much different than how you have to have to be with a child, especially a small child that does exactly. If, if you just go back and listen to what Jack said and and substitute the voice as a child, like your son or your daughter, it it's it's very very similar. It's our our children are requesting our attention when there's a need, and they find ways to get louder when those needs aren't met. And as soon as those needs are met with what they require in that moment then there's resolution. And so when you're when you're guiding me through this process, the visual that comes to my mind, maybe it's because I have a school bus and I'm a bus daddy, but I, I think about myself driving a school bus and I've got a, a busload of kids sitting in the different benches. And at certain times, those children will come up and they'll start like running up and down the aisles trying to get my attention. And I think of Chris Farley back in uh, Billy Madison, the, the school bus driver just getting all stressed out and anxious. When what's really needed of me in that moment is to continue to drive the bus, right? And metaphorically speaking, to continue moving forward in my life with awareness and intention, but to still be able to devote the attention necessary to acknowledge that part of me that's represented by that child and and figure out what it needs. And then once that need is reconciled, then, all right, we can just get back to cruising on the road again. Yeah, that's really beautifully said. And a great analogy to the, the Chris Farley thing. Hopefully trying to bring a little bit of a calmer, more compassionate, loving. Uh, Just think of the eyes bulging out of the head, the red <laughs> tomato face. A, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, but it's the, the interesting thing is when you start talking to these parts, sometimes it feels like they're just like blocking you in every single way that you want to move forward in your life. You're like, I have to get rid of these parts because they're blocking me from what I'm really passionate about. They're interfering with like my life and all of these different ways. This, this fear and the stress is like interfering, but what you actually start to find when you actually listen to these parts, and I've found this over and over again, both inside of myself and with people that I've worked with is that none of the parts of us want to interfere with what we're passionate about. They, they all want to be on the team. They want to support the team. They want to more than anything to be like a valued supportive member of the team. They just feel like they can't because they have some burden or wound that's unresolved and they can't do the job of the team because they're so stressed out by X, Y, or Z that wound that they are still holding onto a burden that is still like embedded into their system that they can't work for the team very well. That's that's so beautifully said, man. That's such an important point to make. And for, for anybody who's hearing about this or these are new concepts for you to think about, imagining that, like you said, a team, right? So let's take that school bus full of children and let's say it's a school bus full of football players from a local high school and they're all getting ready to go and try to beat up on the crosstown rival. And the, the, the only way that that's going to happen is if the team is functioning as, as a unit, as a whole. And if one of those players is not feeling well, they're not feeling like a part of the team, not feeling accepted or welcomed or supported by his teammates, it's it's going to have an immediate impact on the overall success of that team. So thinking of myself as the team, right? All each of us, and I love the movie Inside Out. Anybody who hasn't seen the movie Inside Out, I think is such a beautiful portrayal of how these different voices and personality parts we have can can interact and collaborate and communicate and sometimes interfere with each other seemingly um it's it's so important to figure out how to get those parts online and, and really I've, I've worked with kids for so long so i know that it's such a it's such an easy dynamic to look at how do you get kids all operating and working together because they're so instinctual they're so impulsive and the needs are so raw you know they're so raw and so honest 
And um, yeah, man, I think it's just such a simple way for people to start looking at these different things that are happening within internally within us. Absolutely. And just as far as this family piece uh, that you're sharing about, about how you would speak to your kids kind of thing for anybody who's listening with kids, Jenny mentioned how like you should kind of do this with the trained professional or this or that, these parts listenings, you know, it can be really valuable to do it with, with trained professor or professionals and whatnot, but you can certainly start to play around with it on your own without having to really worry about anything. If you just start to think about how are you treating yourself? Like the, if you notice that there's a part of you that's feeling really afraid, bringing your awareness to towards that part and just see how do you treat yourself for the fact that you're feeling really afraid. And if you have any kids, just compare it to how you would treat your kid. If your kid was really frightened about, you know, something that was important, you know, going to their first day of school or something, would you tell them like, get the hell over it? Like, what's the matter with you? Like go in there. Some people maybe would do that, but would that be the healthiest thing for that child? Is that going to make that child feel safer and like, you know, able to get, you know, get, you know, feel comfortable and learn to be safe going to school? Probably not. They're probably going to start to develop some, some issues, you know, because of, of that, not feeling loved by their not parent, not feeling supported, not feeling like it's okay that they're really frightened in this moment, that they're going to start to maybe feel like there's something wrong with them. And that's exactly what happens to these parts of us. They feel like there's something wrong with me. I shouldn't be with this. I shouldn't be like this. Look at the way that, you know, Jack is, you know, uh, treating me or there's something I, yeah, just, they start to get these stories in their head that there's something really, really wrong. And then they start to act out just like a kid and cause lots of problems internally in, in our nervous system. And, and that's a really great segue into another tool that you brought into our work together. Um, and I'll be, I'll be honest, uh, I was so resistant to this one and you could, you could share the story of where, what was coming up for me. I was really honest about it with you, but this mindful self-compassion, here, I'll just I'll just say my piece first. Sure. Self-compassion as as a term is something that immediately used to, not not even that long ago, just a few months ago, create a trigger in me. And through some unraveling and some curiosity and inquiry that you led me through, on, on realizing that I had a story about self-compassion, self-love, all these buzzwords that we hear today in the personal development world, that they that those were words that were going to get me to just become a big softy. And the the green light, yellow light, red light system, which I'm going to ask you to, to describe in more detail in a second, was so helpful for me because I feel like it really helped me find the sweet spot between the whip and the roses. You know, the the part of myself that can, you know, discipline, be really disciplined and really on my edge to drive and push forward, which is way more comfortable for me. And the roses, which is a little bit more of this like gentle going with the flow, giving my body plenty of time and space that I was terrified to go into and, and, and still challenging for me, but realizing that there needed to be some balance there because I was, I, there was a part of me, one of those kids on my bus was suffering because I was always pulling out the whip. I was always mm. pulling out the whip to the point where I was giving the whip to one of those little children on my bus and letting that little child whip all the other kids. And it was a, so anyway, I'll, I'll pause there for a minute, man. Cause it's such a, it's been such a helpful tool. And I'd love for you to just give a little bit of a, of an intro of what that is and how, how did you introduce that to me? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can absolutely speak to that, but I just have a question for you quick. I'm, I'm curious, the, the part of you, you sound like you have a, a part, one of the people on the bus was getting really triggered by the idea of like hanging out with the roses, you know, and like giving your body as much time as it needs and being gentle with yourself. Wondering if you'd be open to sharing what, 
was particularly evocative or triggering for at least that part of you? It was all the fear that I would become lazy. I would lose motivation. I would ultimately fail my family and not be able to provide and produce for them. It was, you know, there were many layers to that story just for, in the interest of time, it was really those, those top bullet points was I was terrified that if I gave myself any, any leeway that I would become this lazy sitting on the couch, watching Netflix for hours and hours every night, deadbeat father, husband, which that was a very legitimate viewpoint that I thought a very legitimate idea of a future I thought would happen if I, even if I just let up on myself a little bit. Definitely. I appreciate you sharing that. And that makes total sense, you know, because you're, you know, such a huge priority is to take care of your family and to be successful and what you're passionate about building. Mm -hmm. So typically just an example, when you actually start asking questions of these like parts that are getting triggered inside of ourselves, they typically make a lot of sense. Sometimes it's hard to, they don't make sense at first, because they're speaking really loudly or they're just like, you know, running amok inside kind of thing. But as soon as you start to turn your affectionate listening ear towards them and pay attention to what's going on for them, sometimes they have to just kind of like let out a lot of anger or frustration or grief or fear or whatever it is for a while. But then once you, at a certain point, it starts to become clear what's really going on for them. And it always tends to make sense. And out of that tends to be born internal self-compassion. You start to be like, oh, uh, there's a re- there's a reason why that I'm feeling this way or why this is happening internally. So you don't have to like engineer. A lot of people with self compassion, they're like, I I try to say nice things to myself and it just bounces off me. That's you have to like engineer it, but you don't have to. If you just listen to yourself until it makes sense, what's actually going on? Why these parts are so frightened? Then all of a sudden, compassion is born because compassion is innate in human beings when you see suffering and when you understand what suffering is going on it springs forward very easily in other people when we, cause it's easier to understand sometimes and we, you have that space, but when it's happening in ourselves, it can be harder to see what's actually going on for ourselves. But that anyway, that's a digression. Well, well I'll so say, speak to that real quick and then we'll bounce it back to you. That, that was the key for me is I, I, there was no way in the state that I was in that I was going to make enough time and space to really listen to what that part of myself had to say. There mm. was, I didn't have access to compassion in that moment for that part of myself. And that's where I, I really needed somebody else. So I, again, I, I go back to what you said before that, yeah, sure, maybe you don't, you don't need a professional to begin some of this inquiry, but if you're in a heavy spot like I was, or even something close to it, you might not be able to access that compassion. Some, sometimes these stories are like sealed iron vaults and it's, and it's almost impossible to find your own way through. Maybe if you've done a, a lot of this work over many, many years that you can access it a little bit easier. I'm sure that happens too. Definitely. And one of the most complicated things about it with this multiple parts situation is that a lot of times what happens, the compassion is being uh, blocked by another part. So we have one part that's feeling a particular thing, feeling a lot of fear, for instance, and then there'll be another part of us that jumps up. That's terrified of that other part, like causing problems. And so it maybe doesn't reveal itself as fear. What it reveals itself as deep anger and extremely mean self-talk towards that part of like, what the hell is wrong with you? Get your shit together. What's the matter with you? Like, this is not okay. Putting tremendous pressure on it. And so there's no way there's going to be any compassion if another part is taking over with like hatred for another part, which happens all the time. And so then you got to go over there and listen to what's going on for that other part. And usually you find that there's fear over there also. 
It's just like a kid bullying another kid on the bus, right? Brothers the, the, and the, sisters or oh, kid man. on the bus, all of that stuff. It's not, it's not innate in us to bully someone else, right? It's always, it's always a source of our own process. And, and when you watch two kids and this dynamic happening, it's, that's why I think it's such a great metaphor because you know that there's, there's more happening and with some attention, really, I think it's just attention. If we just use the word attention for what that can represent, so much of the conflict even if it's just internal conflict can be reconciled with attention, time, space, breath, listening, slowing down, which when you're, when I'm in a survival state, the last thing that I do is slow down. That's why I knew I needed you to help me out. Cause you've always, you've been helping me slow down since I was back in New York city, man, <laughs> racing around on the subways. Yeah. At least in my experience, a lot of times time and space is exactly what is necessary to actually be able to hear. You have to actually turn your attention inward and actually listen to what's going on in there. And listening takes giving ourselves space when we just are in a go, go, go kind of mode. You, there's, you can't hear what's going on in there. And it just sounds like noise or symptomology, you know, anxiety, depression, chronic issues, really all sorts of things. Um, until you start to untangle the the knot that has been created internally. But anyway, I know you asked about this uh, this stop this green, yellow, red zone situation. Yes, let's yes, let's get back to that, please. Yeah. Um, so the idea with the green, yellow, red zone is some people call it the the safety zone, the challenge zone, and the overwhelm zone. And this was introduced to me through the Mindful Self Compassion. Uh, Institute and uh, they've, it's really changed my life dramatically and certainly could share more about that. But um, the idea that the, the safety zone is like when you're just feeling good and you're feeling calm and you're feeling safe and you're feeling, you're chilling, you know, life, life is easy kind of thing. Challenge zone is when you're in, you're in the, on the edge, you feel the edginess, you feel some stress, some healthy stress arising, you know, when you're trying to take steps in your life where you, are being brave and showing up and putting yourself out there. That all tends to bring some challenge zone, um, experiences. And then as well as a whole bunch of other things in life, because life is challenging. And then there's the red zone overwhelm. zone when we just are feeling flooded and overwhelmed and triggered and, you know, can't be present and all these different things. And just having the awareness to check in with ourselves and ask ourselves, what zone am I in right now? And depending on what zone I'm in, that will dictate what is going to be the most self-compassionate act that will support me in the, the particular moment. Um, so I know a lot of one of those things that you said was hard for you about self-compassion or was triggering was this idea that self-compassion was you just have to always be super gentle to yourself, no matter what, in every single situation. Uh, but what is actually the case is that if you are in the easy zone, the green zone, and it actually giving yourself some, some, uh, putting some fire, you know, or throwing some logs on the fire to try to get it to like rise up again by trying to encourage yourself and, and motivate yourself. That might be exactly what you need to get yourself into the challenge zone, you know, get the reins, you know, or crack up the whip a little bit on yourself. Maybe another analogy might be a little more optimal, but to try to, you know, light some, light the fire up a little bit kind of thing. I think motivation, it, right? Like motivation, yeah, motivate healthy yourself. motivation, yeah. healthy motivation. Thanks. I think that's a good way of saying it. And then if you're in the red zone and you're super overwhelmed, then trying to motivate yourself, which is what most of us tend to do is 
by getting really hard on ourselves, you know, come on, what's the matter with you? I shouldn't be in this place. Like, what am I weak? Like get over it. Like keep going. Why are you so afraid? All these different things. I mean, tends to just stress us out even more kind of thing, overwhelm us even more kind of thing. So at that moment, being really kind and gentle to yourself to be like, wow, I'm really stressed out. And, and maybe I need some help to try to get me back down to the yellow zone or the green zone uh, so that I can recuperate and let my nervous system quiet down again now is really what's typically needed in those situations. And one of the things that was super helpful for me, because I'm a classic red zoner. If, if it hasn't been made obvious already, I'm a classic red lighter, red light, red zoner. Um, that's where I learned. You helped me see that that's just something I've really leaned on to survive and succeed in my life. It's been really useful in a lot of places in my life I can point to where it's been really effective. The whole basis and foundation for Rising Man was created from a long period of red zoning for myself, which had consequences and costs to my personal health and my, mm. how I felt about myself. And like I mentioned before, my resistance wasn't going to the green zone. One of the first things you helped me see, and you didn't even, you didn't just tell me this, but you helped me see it for myself, which is also so great about the way you do your work, is that none of these zones are inherently bad or wrong. There's no zone that is better than the others. And that was a story I had. I had, I had a, a story that it's all red, maybe yellow sometimes, but don't even don't even consider going into the green because you're going to be screwed. And just considering that for a moment and actually giving myself an opportunity to try it on. You know, I, I don't remember if you encouraged me to do it or if I came to this deduction myself, but there were some days where I said, okay, I'm going to consciously choose to give myself some green zone time. I'm going to take care of the most important thing for the day. But if I feel like taking a nap, I'm going to take a nap and then see what happens. Because the fear was, well, if I just lay down and take a nap, then everything's going to fall off a cliff. And then I would, I allowed myself to do it, took a nap, woke up, felt really good. And lo and behold, the world was still spinning. And that evidence gave me more reinforcement that, okay, well, I can choose to go in and out of these different zones if I'm really listening to what I need in that moment and trusting that I'm not just deceiving myself. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful is the, is the, a lot of times when there's like parts that are really resistant or afraid of something, just trying it a little bit and seeing what happens is a great way to go, you know, not to throw yourself into the red zone of just to like, all right, I'm going to take two weeks off and do nothing. Now that was, that sounds like it's kind of overwhelming on the other side. That'll be green zone that throws you back into the red zone, which was something that we, we spoke about, but instead to just try a little bit of something and see, is that okay? Did the world end or was that actually healthy for me? And then kind of systematically dialing in what is actually going to be more skillful for your well-being, because my my journey, well, the reason I got into self self uh, mindful self compassion, why it was so necessary in my life, was I, I once I started trying to build a business on my own, I thought I was struggling with it, and I was experiencing a lot of fear and resistance and procrastination, and I thought the reason, the way I needed to handle that was to be really really hard on myself and try to like blow through the the brick wall that was like up in my nervous system. Cause my parts, I had parts of me that were so frightened and terrified. And I, so I tried to just like blow through it by being hard. And a part of me was so frightened of like in, uh, financial insecurity and all this stuff and, and feeling like I'm a failure. And what if I can't make this happen? And what does that mean about me? I had some tremendous fears is I started to, it started to just cr like 
it was like my brain got tuned to a radio station that was just saying, you're, can I swear on the podcast? Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. saying like, this was literally what was going on in my head. Like for hours at a time, I'd be like, you're a fucking piece of shit. What the fuck is wrong with you? You fucking loser douchebag. I fucking hate you. What's wrong with you? Just like constant, constant, constant. And sometimes I would fall asleep. It was like hard to fall asleep when this is pumping into my brain. I would wake up and it would still be going. It was like the radio station was still going. And I was just, it was like wearing me down and wearing me down and wearing me down to the point I was like having trouble getting out of bed. It was like, it was really, really intense. And I was like freaked out. And then gratefully, I like started getting into the self-compassion thing. And then eventually found the internal family systems things to find that there was a part of me that was just so stressed out and frightened. Cause I was like, why is this part so mean? It's so freaking mean to me but it was so terrified and it felt like that was it. That was, it's the way that it knew to try to like solve the problem. But what, what was happening, it was, it was making the problem a lot worse kind of thing, which happens all the time to us. And so by learning to, to see what was, to listen to that part, see what was going on and try to bring some compassion and love to it. And the rest of me, the fact that I was really struggling and having a hard time putting myself out there, I realized and learned that I had a lot of trauma that was unresolved, which is why I was, that was what the brick wall was that I was slamming up with a lot of trauma. And I had to look at it and through compassion and through listening to what was going on there, that stuff was able to resolve. And then now my business is doing awesome and I feel a lot safer. So it was a really interesting experience. Yeah, man, I can 100% relate to everything you said. Just, just in the interest of time, I'll just say ditto. <laughs> that was definitely my experience. And <laughs> It's it, the thing I think people need to understand is that it, it's not necessarily linear or logical the way that this comes to be. Because I, I was reflecting on my experience myself, and I'm I'm seeing indications of real transformation and growth just in the past few months, where I used to cram as much as I possibly could within my work hours, and I told myself that if I didn't fill in the blank with any one of the expletives that you said about yourself before, right? Like you're a fucking douchebag, you're you're a failure, you're soft, whatever. And now I know what I need to do every day. I'm really clear on that. And I've got this whole different system and approach to how I identify, well, what needs to absolutely get done today? And what do I need to complete in order to feel complete and, mm. and really put things down? And sometimes I, I do that and I say, you know what? I don't, I don't feel like sitting at the computer anymore. I'm going to take these next two hours to spend a little time, more time with my family, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I feel like going for a second workout. Maybe I'll just go to the gym and get another quick, gentle workout in or something that really feeds me. But I would never have listened to that part of myself a few months ago. It was mm. so in that red zone. I was just seeing red. I was seeing red everywhere. And, and now I, so, so what I'm going back to saying is that those changes sometimes can be really subtle and almost imperceptible but i've noticed that oh wow that's that's actually happening and i feel a lot differently in my body we're about to move <laughs> across the country to next week and here i am like yeah that's that's a big deal but I feel pretty good about it <laughs> you know yeah that's really beautiful and what people tend to find you mentioned uh earlier how these parts of us these like stressed out frightened wounded scared parts of us angry parts of us, they live in different parts of our bodies. It's a weird thing. Whereas if you ask, where is that, where is that? Can you find that part in your body or around your body? Usually you're like, oh, it's in my chest or, oh, it's in my shoulders or I feel it in my face or my jaw, stomach, all, all different places. And so these things really, these parts of us really have physiological responses in the body. And if you help them start to feel calmer and safer and more taken care of and more supported, like your own children kind of thing, 
your, your whole nervous system and your body and your experience of life just feels calmer. And it, it feels like the, those roadblocks, internal roadblocks to taking action or doing what's important to you, though they're, they're just, they start to dissolve. And it's, I've never seen it where it's like a light switch went up and now it's like that wall is completely gone. As you said, it's, it's a gradual dialing down of the system, but what, and a big part of that is because these parts of us, they don't really trust us typically because we've have a long history of just like treating them very poorly. Typically, you know, shut up, stop being like this. You should, you know, I'm what you're not enough. Why are you ruining my life or blocking me or all these different things? If you start to listen to them, they start to be like, oh, you're going to pay attention to me now, but you don't have money trust built up with them that you're going to be loving to them. But if you start to like take care of them and listen to them and treat them well and, and be there for them, then they start to gradually trust you a little bit more. Oh, Jetty's got my back or, oh, Jack's got my back. And so I guess maybe I can start to trust him. And then like a little more and a little more, and you gradually build up this like rock solid internal system where all the parts of ourselves, all those kids on the bus are like, we, we freaking got this. And then you, what you start to find is those parts that are, they're really powerful. Like all of that energy that's pumping fear, pumping fear, pumping fear. When those parts don't have to do that anymore, cause they feel safe all of a sudden and that they're going to be taken care of all of that tremendous energy that was like pumping into my nervous system. You fucking loser. What the fuck is wrong with you around the clock can go towards something really productive and really valuable. And then all of a sudden that's like a super power way of finding that we have tremendous energy in ourselves that can go towards really beautiful, amazing things. The more that we can align our nervous systems and take care of ourselves in a beautiful way. Yeah, man. Oh, it's been so powerful. so impactful for me. And uh, it's really an exploration, right? It's like you said, I love that you said, it's not a, it's not a light switch. There's no silver bullet. There's no magic potion. That's going to just suddenly change years and years of dialogue and stories that we've been telling ourselves, but that there is a pathway through and then it doesn't have to be so painful. And I think that's one thing I also learned from all this is it doesn't always have to be painful. I don't have to put myself through more pain to heal some of my previous pain. It definitely requires courage, definitely requires willingness to look at myself in a way that I haven't before to challenge some of those kids on the bus that are fighting for their way. Uh, but just the, like you said, the patience and the time and the willingness to really sit with it is so important. And I know that we're uh, we're just about at our time we have here. Do you have a little bit of time just to wrap up to go beyond? Absolutely, I, I certainly do. Okay. Um, though I guess just the one quick point I would just add in there around the self compassion around that is just that a lot of people have this story of that self compassion is like soft or weak. I'm going to become weak kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But just to put out there for people who feel that way, and it makes total sense that you feel that way. There's a societal society built up around you know that telling that story. And I, hope, I think it's gradually shifting, hopefully, but they've done a lot of research recently through this, the self-compassion, mindful self-compassion stuff, and found that actually people who are kinder to themselves tend to be more productive, which seems like is very paradoxical to what a lot of us think, but they tend to be, get more stuff done and go further. It's not a hundred percent of the time. There's some people who are really hard on themselves who go pretty far, but you know, overall people who are gentler and kinder with themselves tend to be actually more productive. So that was really cool for me to hear. Yeah. I remember you dropped that on me either last session that we had, or maybe two sessions ago. And I, it, I believe it. And I found that to be true, but there's still a part of me that's really embracing it. Like, yeah, but when is the other shoe going to drop? So that, there's more work for me to do there. And I'm acknowledging that. Thank you for bringing that piece in. Um, right. 
I I definitely know that we could keep jamming on this for a while, but I want to respect your time. And I thought it would be pretty cool since you've already been on here before. You've answered some of the lightning round questions that I usually ask. I thought I would just ask if you had a favorite story or a favorite memory, since you and I have so much history together that you wanted to share briefly. um, Is there anything that comes to mind you want to drop in here before we wrap up? Um, part, part of my mind was like, all right, what's like the wise anecdote, you know, that could be great kind of thing. But, (laughs) but I guess one thing that I, I, but I guess maybe this is the wise anecdote is that Jetty and like the relationship that I share with him, one thing, it was so meaningful to me, you know, even more when we were, or just a lot when we were young is it was so playful and fun and gleeful. And like, I could just feel all the like stress and hard stuff of the world could kind of just disappear when we were just hanging out. And I just remember we were like going to get ready to go out to go to like uh, a club or party or something. And we would be like, all right, we got to power up. We got to power up before the night. And we would like do this funny thing where we would like grab each other's hands and then like start shaking like incredible amounts of energy. We're like pumping and surging through our nervous systems. And we would get, we would start smiling around and then we just start breaking like crazy dance moves. And then we were like, all right, now we're ready for the, we're ready for the night. Oh, (laughs) It just just made me happy. Just a lot of happiness. Oh, that's such a good memory, man. Yeah, that brought up a lot of those moments. There's like these little landmarks in my mind of our power-up moments. I remember we would also, not even just the beginning of the night, sometimes we'd be out in the midst of a beautiful adventure, sometimes at Burning Man, sometimes somewhere in the middle of New York City, and we would just catch eyes with each other, and we one of us would call for a power-up moment, and we would just do it wherever we were. We would just do it in the middle of where we were, and who knows? We, I didn't care. We didn't even care what people were around us were thinking. We would have that moment, and it would just be so, like you said, so playful, so fun. It, it brings up a memory for me of, uh, I guess it goes, it's probably 2013 because it was the first year that Carrie came to Burning Man with me. And I remember one night where you and your wife and Lennon and uh, myself and Carrie, we were all together and we had a beautiful night together and we were just in the middle of the playa and we had one of those moments. We had one of those power up moments. And I remember just from for that section of several hours together, it was just so fun and memorable and silly, but then also the depth. For me, my greatest memories are just the range that we've had in our relationship, going all the way back to when I had no idea what I was doing (laughs) with my life. And uh, I'm just grateful for those memories, man. Super fun, super, really special for me to just see how how you have grown into a husband and a father and a business owner. It's like, man, I could have never imagined that about, about either of us when we were back to doing our power-ups in the middle of the playa <laughs> out there at Burning Man. But here we are, lo and behold. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's an amazing thing to see the the to be on the journey all together. And uh I think you just talking about that memory is just uh reminding me of just I think at least the medicine, one thing I'm taking with me, at least from this talk that we're having together here today is just I think in like being a dad now and being like, uh, just with business and stuff, I think I tend to lose track. of just, that just carefree, beautiful, kind of joyous, being fun, being silly kind of experience. I want to try to like, look for more of that in, uh, the days, the days to come, because just thinking about that, I'm just feeling relief and smiles and and the beauty of that. So I'm going to look for more of that in my day to day. Yeah, man. I'll say one thing I've learned for myself is when we used to, we used to spend days and days together, right? Like we were roommates for a big chunk of our friendship. 
And uh, it was the, the amount of time I was putting into our relationship back then is now been replaced by the time I put in with my wife and with my two kids. So I've had to learn to bring that playfulness into my family, which mm. was not where I started off with. It was very serious. It was very stressful in the early stages of family life. And now my kids are my play buddies. You know, we, we do so many silly things and we have so many moments that are not out there for anybody else to see where we're dancing around and making silly faces at each other. And uh, it, it's, it's discovering new play partners. And that's, that's what's been really helpful for me. And um, it's also nice to just kind of be nostalgic and know that I can only play and be silly with my buddies in a way that we do that. And there's really nobody else in that. That just makes it really special too. Definitely. Thanks for that, that nugget there uh, about looking for that and in, in the familial experience. So I'm going to take that with me as well. Thank you. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, uh, this has been such a great walk down memory lane, Jack, and and I love that I got to highlight you and share you with the community in the Rising Man mm. space because you're such a such a gift, such a real gift, man. Let's. I want you to just take one last opportunity to tell people where they can connect with you, learn more about the opportunities and the offerings you have. So, anything you want to say about links, websites, or places people should go to connect with you, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Um... Appreciate that. Um, so I work, I work as a coach and a counselor. Uh, my coach, my counseling website is jackrubincounseling.com. Um, I also work with musicians, uh, from a coaching perspective there, holisticmusicianship.com is, is that. And, uh, actually, uh, um, uh, one aspect of my life right now that is like a newer endeavor, but I'm finding really passionate, uh, about that. I'll just put out there in case there, anyone is struggling out there. Cause I felt a tremendous amount of shame with it. So I had an experience when I was younger, where I, I, from the time I was 12 to 25, I was really struggling, uh, to use a bathroom in public restrooms. I was just like, my body would not release urine when I was in public bathrooms and it was mortifying and stressful and huge shame in my life started working with people. I realized there's 20 million people worldwide estimated dealing with this issue. So started helping people overcome that issue. And that's been a really amazing thing also to help people not be plagued by that anymore. Gratefully, I was able to make it to the other side of that too. Uh, so that's uh, overcomingshyblader.com that's called. And uh, you could check out that if you know anyone struggling with that or yourself. So that's uh, those are my offerings. Awesome, man. Are, are you on any of the socials? Are you doing... Are you on Facebook? Are you on Instagram where people can go find you too? Not currently professionally speaking uh, at this point in time, but you okay, can certainly so you find me email? on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Oh yeah, email uh, uh, at at gmail.com. J-A-C-K-S-T-A-R-R-U-B-I-N at gmail.com. Love awesome, to connect. Brother. Awesome, man. Well, it's good to see your face. Anytime we could sit down and have a conversation is a special one for me. And, and this time we get to capture it so that people all around the world can benefit from it, man. So thank you for your time. Look forward to seeing you whenever I get to see you and lots of love to you, brother. Jetty, a tremendous honor as always. All right, y'all, make sure you swing over to risingman.org. Check out all the links and resources for this episode and every episode of the Rising Man podcast. And while you're there, click on that Brotherhood tab at the top of the page and get yourself signed up for one of our amazing membership tiers. Again, the free Telegram space is open to everybody. All you got to do is register. We also have our paid memberships, Bonfire and Fire Circle tiers, where you're going to get even more value and opportunity to grow yourself as a leader and as a man. So go check it out, risingman.org slash brotherhood and get yourself linked up today. 
Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. And give us a follow on Instagram at rising man movement. Big ups to every man, every man out there who's waving that rising man banner whatever way you do whether it's telling your friends about the podcast jumping into the brotherhood space or just simply being the man that you intend to be being an empowered leader out there driven by your purpose that's the way of the rising man until next time rise up and claim your destiny